Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Some time passed. We were driving home. Back, or we were driving back to the hotel, and Casey knew that I was shook up. I was sitting shotgun, and he was driving. And he looked over at me, and I was just distraught. And he said, let me ask you this. He said, could you have done anything differently? He's like, did you, could you have done anything differently to be prepared? You know, could physically, mentally, just could you have sacrificed any more? Um, could you have been more into it? And I said, no, I can't think of anything. And it's just not, you know, I was just upset. And that was part of the reason I was upset. And he's like, well, that's all that matters. You know, that's all that matters. If you can go to bed and tell yourself that you did everything right, you gave yourself the best opportunity. It just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't your day. You can't hang your hat. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the one and only Wrestling Change My Life podcast. We're so pleased you're here. Let's get into it. Today we have Jason Borelli head coach at Stanford, on the show. As everyone knows, Stanford is trying to cut wrestling, and they're not going to have it out there. Through the KeepStanfordWrestling.com website, these guys have raised over $12 million to try and bring Stanford to their senses and keep Stanford wrestling. We talk about that at the end of this interview, so please enjoy it, and go to KeepStanfordWrestling.com if you want to support the cause. Fan of the week goes to my man Oscar Cush. He's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, Marine Corps veteran. Thank you for your service. And a listener of this show. So thank you very much, Oscar. We appreciate it. Folks, if you want to support the show, please support our sponsor. And this week, it's Spartan Combat. They're hosting a youth and high school national wrestling tournament in Jacksonville, Florida, May 21st through the 23rd. Beach wrestling on day one, folk on day two, freestyle on day three, and then on day four, it's a dual team tournament. Find out all the information you need on SpartanCombat.com. That's it, folks. Let's get to the show with Coach Jason Borelli. Okay, Jason Borelli. I wanted to start this thing with 2001. You enrolled at Central Michigan, and at the same time, Casey Cunningham, who's one of the most sought-after coaches in the country, one of the most well-respected coaches in the country, was starting his tenure there. What do you remember about coach Casey Cunningham in the early days in your relationship with him? Yeah, well, I have a lot of great things to talk about Casey uh, or to say about Casey. Uh, I could talk about him for a long time. He's a guy that had a tremendous impact on my life and still, still is in my life. Um, you know, interestingly, 
you know, for me, it was an awesome experience having him as a coach, but, but a big part of that is because I grew up watching him wrestle in my dad's program. And, uh, he was a guy that I aspired to be like, and, um, who, you know, was kind of that larger than life hero to me. Right. And you, everyone has people that they looked up to in the wrestling community. And I have lots of, of, um, you know, very accomplished names that you would know in wrestling, but Casey is certainly one of them that when I was in middle school and my dad was recruiting him and then getting into high school as he was competing for my dad, um, you know, he was just the guy that you looked up to that did things the right way that you felt like, um, you know, it uh, was also, you know, he was a guy who, who wasn't heavily recruited, wasn't the, the, the phenom coming out of high school, was very accomplished, but he wasn't the guy and um, kind of came from middle of nowhere in Michigan and came to Central to help build a program and, and, and did that. And then um, I got to uh, wrestle for him. And so it was an awesome experience. And he's just a great human being. You know, he's, um, you know, just, I don't know how to explain Casey, but honest, um, you know, genuine isn't going to beat around the bush and just tell you what you want to hear, which, you know, when you have a great relationship with someone and they can be honest with you, that's like, you know, that's really meaningful. Right. And they, and, 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 but also led by example, you know, he was a guy that he was a, the assistant coach who everything he asked us to do, he did. Mm. Right. And, 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 you know, so he lived it and uh, was able to show us the way. And it was a great experience. He was, he was good for me because it break it bring it brought good balance to a situation that was unique already. Right. I was wrestling for my dad and sometimes wrestling for your dad and training under him. It, it's tough. And having Casey there um, was kind of uh, what I needed at that time. So. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the stories you have, I've got to be endless, but I mean, going back to when you were in middle school, you know, your dad's the head coach at central Michigan. He was at, you know, a Juco like superior state before that. And so he's starting to build this dynasty and then, you know, Casey comes in. I mean, as a, as a youngster, what memories do you have of him wrestling and, and winning that national title? Yeah, I have a lot. So I can remember when he first got there, I remember my dad, um, they had a good recruiting class hit, you know, Casey's class. When he came in, my dad did really well in the state of Michigan in recruiting. I think they, they signed, um, uh, Greg Mayer might've been in that class who ended up being around a 12 guy for my dad. Um, Devon Gray, who was a multiple time Fargo champ. And, and maybe these are names people know, maybe they're not, but at that time, <laughs> okay. at that time, at that time, they were, they were good. And that class was uh, a great class. There was uh, numerous others, um, but anyway, they came in, but Casey stood out simply because of his work ethic, right. And, and the lifestyle he lived and where his goals were, you know, he had goals to be a national champion. And that was one of the first times I remember, uh, athletes talking about winning national championships and it wasn't just coming from my dad's mouth right when my dad took over you know he he kind of the mindset we're going to work hard that's all we know uh, but we're going to do this and if we're going to do all this and put all this time in and commit we're trying to be the best and heard a lot about that from my dad but when Casey got there it was here's a guy who has goals to be an NCAA champion and talked about it and and then his actions uh, were in line with that and so he was special in that regard because you, know, you go to a practice and I'd, I remember being eighth, ninth grade or 10th grade watching practices and you just noticed Casey, you know, it was, it was from everything from, from the minute, you know, guys were lining up partners, uh, people were trying to avoid Casey. And I used to always be like, why, why aren't people going with Casey? Is he a terrible wrestler? I didn't know, but come to find out because whoever had to drill with him that day and started practice 
by the time live wrestling started, they were so exhausted from drilling with Casey that they couldn't even function during live. And so everyone tried to avoid Casey because he was the guy that drilled so hard. It was in your face after every rep was back up in your face, was just all hustle and wore you out. Heavy hands, had his hands on you the whole time. And you notice that as an as a young kid who's, who's getting into wrestling, sitting off on the side, it was like, wow, this guy just never stops. And then, you know, my dad would say up and jog and most guys would get up and they'd be jogging, you know, the smallest uh, version of the room they could create in their own <laughs> mind. That's what they would jog, right? Whereas Casey would be on the outside, almost sprinting, touching every corner of the wrestling room. And he was just that guy. And then you watched him compete and you know, if he went out of bounds, he sprinted back. When a guy was taking his time to get set on bottom, Casey was standing right behind him bouncing. And, you know, just was like the Energizer Bunny. I never got tired. And you noticed those things. And so it had a big impact on me. Uh, and and I, I tried to uh, I tried to wrestle like him and train and do everything I could like him. It's, it's really eerie. If you go back and watch like my middle school matches and <laughs> even call it or high school matches, you would see me bouncing like Casey sprinting back. My stance was like him. And so he just was the guy you wanted to be and um, had a big impact on me. And I, I joke, people think I'm making this up, but I used to write um, CC rules on everything when I was in middle school and early days of high school, my walls in my room would say CC rules. My, my folders would say it. And people would always be like, what is CC rules? And I was like, Casey Cunningham rules. And they're like, <laughs> you're weird. You know, they, they kind of, kind of make fun of me, but he was just that he was the guy that he had an impact on me. And, and, um, and then I got to wrestle when he coached with my dad and he was my coach for a little while. And uh, so it was a great, great experience. It's, it's so uh, funny to look back, you know, when you first see that college practice where, you know, whether it's you're just kind of like getting a tour of the Iowa room like it was for me or you where you're going every day. I mean, anytime that a young wrestler sees their first college guy drilling, you're just amazed at how hard they go. And it's just so cool. That you got to see that with him, you know, up yeah. close and center so many times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, and I saw uh, I saw the I, oh, I was going to say I saw that I saw quite the opposite sometimes, too. I saw the guys, you know, you sit off and you see the guys that were real lazy drillers and and yeah. you could tell they want to practice to be over in the first 10 minutes. But yeah. And so you're, you know, all this is kind of going on under your dad's tutelage. Did you start wrestling from the jump? Like when he was coaching on the junior college circuit? Yeah. So, well, no, I didn't. Great question. I, I got into the sport very late, I would say, considering I came from a wrestling family. Right. So um, my dad, um, we were living in Atlanta. My dad was coaching at high school. He was teaching a health class, PE and health. And then he was coaching football and track and wrestling at a high school when I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so I was very young. He moved from there. Um, he got, he left there. I don't have the years exactly right, but it, I was young. I was very mm -hmm. young. And he ended up getting uh, a grad assistant an assistant position at Clemson when they had a program and he, he went there. So we moved to South Carolina, which is where my mom and dad uh, grew up. And so I was around wrestling there at a pretty high level. Clemson had decent program then, and there was a lot of great wrestlers there, uh, but I still wasn't into it. I, I wasn't really, uh, there wasn't youth wrestling like there is now, right? You, it was hard to find youth wrestling at that age. Mm -hmm. uh, there weren't the clubs and there weren't as many tournaments. And so then we moved to Michigan. And when we moved to Lake Superior State and my dad started coaching there, still was no youth wrestling. There were no clubs, there was nothing. And so, although I watched wrestling, knew my dad was a coach and went to dual meets, and idolized a lot of the wrestlers just didn't do it. And my dad wasn't around a lot to, you know, introduce it to me or, or have me and my brother do it at home. I mean, we, we kind of did, but 
And then even when we moved to Mount Pleasant, when my dad started coaching at Central Michigan, there was no youth or feeder program at the time. And so I played all the other, yeah, I played all the other sports, right? And so we moved there in 1991. I was probably 10 years old when we moved to Mount Pleasant and there was no organized youth wrestling. Um, So aside from summer camps or any of that, I, I played all the other winter sports. I was, um, uh, I played hockey, I played basketball, I did everything. It, not until seventh grade, when I got into seventh grade in Mount Pleasant was when there was a middle school team and I decided to wrestle. And actually it was hard for me because I had to give up playing hockey and I had played hockey for a number of years. And in Michigan, hockey is a big deal. And um, there's a lot of youth organized hockey. And so I, that was tough. I remember thinking like as wrestling or hockey can't do them both. And I chose wrestling. And then, um, so I, I started competitively like taking it serious and really getting into it in seventh grade. So for a coach's son, I think that's pretty late, you know, getting into the sport. And did you just love it right away? I did. I think I was really motivated, right? I had, I had, I actually, you know, I had Casey and I had hearing my dad talking about winning and CMU was starting to get a lot better. Um, and I was just super into it. I had a lot of drive, had a good middle school career. I mean, middle school was, it was a lot different, uh, as you might recall, or at least for me in my era, uh, you just wrestled the middle school season and then you did freestyle tournaments in the spring. Right. And, and, um, it was, we had a middle school team. We went into dual meets and some tournaments. Uh, you wrestled about 20 times as a middle school kid and then spring would roll around and you'd try to hit some local developmental like freestyle tournaments. And then you'd go to your state meet and then you'd try to make the Fargo team. That was all you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that we didn't go to big national events or travel really outside of our kind of region. And, um, and that was my introduction to wrestling. And I did that in seventh and eighth grade and then got to high school and uh, kind of picked up from there. It's just crazy to think, I know you have three sons, how different it is for them, you know, yeah. now. I mean, I understand you guys have a wrestling mat at the house. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we have. I mean, my kids are into it. And uh, and I, I'm torn because our kids, have. we have a little mat. They love wrestling. As a matter of fact, my in-laws, my, my wife's parents are here and They've got the mat out in the in the garage set up, and they're wanting to wrestle every day with him, and they're really into it. But I, I enjoyed not having the pressures of starting until a lot later in that competition, and, and not having to be young and dealing with, you know, the competition anxiety. Yeah. And so I'm torn between when's the right time to start my kids, right? Like keeping them exposed and excited. They love watching it. They go to the matches. They love turning it on TV. They ask about it all the time there's probably real value in that, right? If they start competing and going to tournaments too soon, maybe they don't like it as much. Maybe they don't really enjoy it. And so it's a kind of a balance. I can see them wanting to do it now and they're young. They're, you know, one's about to turn six and the other seven and the other one's really little, but you know, they really are into it. Uh, but I'm trying to hold the, you know, hold the reins back a little bit. It's cool that they're fans of the team though. I mean, do they get into it at the duels? Oh my goodness. They know. And they know all the top wrestlers. They talk about Penn state and, <laughs> and Iowa. And I mean, it was Bo nickel forever and Jason Nolf and, you know, and Jordan Burroughs, the top level guys and any of the college guys. And they know who's good in our conference. They talk about the PAC 12 and they talk about Pappy's team, central Michigan and the Mac and they, you know, they've got it down. So, you know, they, they ask me, I read to them every night before we go to bed and um, they always want me to go through the, the, uh, the NCA, the book you get, um, the program that you yeah. get at the NCA tournament, it has all the, the, the pictures and then all the qualifiers names. And they make me read all the qualifiers at every weight. 
all the time and they're asking like we read us all the qualifiers at 133 and then you know at 141 and they they just love it so it's kind of neat oh my god it's so cool i mean you think back to you to your age and even my age, I'm 30, you'd be lucky to see one college duel a year. And maybe it was like Iowa, Iowa state, or maybe the NCAs, you know, but now they're, I mean, obviously they're exposed to it because you're the coach, but even if they weren't, you could still see a tremendous amount now, you know, more than you ever could. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting. What I think about is my kids, they grow up in this bubble with me. Right. And we watch college wrestling a lot. If, the Pac-12 networks is on and we don't have a duel, we're watching that. If the Big Ten network's on and I'm not on the road, we're watching that. If something's on Flow Wrestling, I'm watching it. So our kids watch it. I think what's funny is our kids think wrestling is more mainstream than it is. And when they're around their buddies and stuff and other people, they talk about wrestling like it's football or basketball. And I just start laughing to myself because oh. I think some of our neighbors and some people, they're like, why are these kids like they they're like super into wrestling and, and a lot of people don't know a lot about it. Right. But like our kids think it's on the same level as everything else. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully it will be by the time they get a little bit older, but it's just interesting. I mean, it's so cool that, yeah. and for folks who don't know, your dad still coaches at central Michigan. And so those are two division one coaches in the family. And I understand your wife's from a, is she from a wrestling background as well? She is. Yeah. So my dad's coaching. He's in his 29th or 30 year at C at central Michigan. Uh, my wife's father, um, uh, wrestled in high school, was a state state finalist took it a couple times and then, um, went to CMU and wrestled there for a year, uh, ended up not finishing, but, uh, they're from same mid Michigan area. He went to the, they actually, uh, his, her dad and then, and Jenna, my wife, uh, went to the same high school as me. So we grew up in the same area and, and she's from a wrestling family. So. Man, that's a, that's awesome. And I love that they're thinking it's on the same level. The the one thing you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, though, that I wanted to come back to is you said you don't want to expose your kids to wrestling too early because you know they they'd have to wrestle with some performance anxiety. Is that something you battle with as a college wrestler? No, I I mean I don't recall myself having too much of that. I actually feel that's one thing that I talk a lot about that that I probably had less of than most people, when people tell me, you know, you get nervous. No, I didn't. And I think a lot of that is because I felt like I genuinely lived a lifestyle and trained consistently with what it took to be successful. And so that brought me great peace of mind that I would could just go out and perform still though. I know it's a big part of the sport. Once I got into coaching, I realized how much bigger a deal it was. Um, now that I've coached for so long, I've just coached so many athletes that have that. And I mean, yes, you get the butterflies. I had them, right? You get amped up. You're going out there. There's uncertainties, but it was never overwhelming to where it affected me, I felt like. But but certainly, I've seen it with our athletes, and um, I know it's a big part of the sport. So. The preparation, obviously, eliminates so much of that, but you know, you've, I'm sure you've seen countless guys that, that do live the life but still get out there and struggle with that. For some of the the wrestlers who are listening now or some of the parents listening, you know, what do you think is causing that? I know it's, it's so individualistic, but just if you had to share yeah. anything. Some of it's probably pressure, yeah. right? Pressure either we put on ourselves or pressure that other people put on us. Um, uh, because naturally, oh, and in other parts of the sports different, right? There's, so there's pressure um, to, to perform for somebody else. And, but there's also the sports set up to create a little bit of that. I mean, 
one of the few sports where it all falls back on you, right? There's mm-hmm. nobody out there out there to default to. Um, and, but, uh, but, you know, I think of like gymnastics and track, right? Those are the same thing, you know, they're in swimming, they're individual, but the difference is, is there's also not another human being who is your age, your weight, um, you know, trying to actually stop you or make you look silly, right? And that creates a whole nother level of <laughs> psychological, like, you know, problems, you know, here's, here's me going out there all by myself, no one to blame it on, but I also could be humiliated in front of my peers because this other person is better than me. And now I have to accept that he's better than me and there was nothing I could do. So the sport just naturally uh, plays into that, the psychological part. But I think some of it is pressure. I, I also, Ryan would say one thing that I've noticed with our sport, which I, I it bugs me a little bit is we, we almost like, when you ask somebody what their goal is, right, in our sport, almost always they're either like taught this or somewhere, like it just comes out, I want to be an Olympic champion. I'm going to be an <laughs> Olympic champion. I'm going to be a four-time undefeated NCAA champion. And we hang the moon on those types of things. But could you imagine, I, this is funny, like I think about this. When you talk to people who play football or basketball, you know, when you meet a little kid, hey, do you want to play football? Like, yeah, you know, I love football, I want to play. Their goal isn't to be a four-time Heisman Trophy winner in college, right? <laughs> they don't talk about that. It's not like, hey, I'm going to be the four-time Heisman Trophy winner. I'm going to go to Alabama. You know, it's it's different. But in wrestling, you ask a kid when he's 10 years old, what's your goal? I'm going to be a four-time undefeated NCAA champion. So the pressure, the psychological side of it is it's fascinating to me that that's what we, that's what we think about instead of we just want to participate in the sport because we enjoy it. And um, so we all grow up thinking we're going to never lose. We all grow up thinking we're going to be four-time NCAA champions, Olympians, and very, 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 very few do, you know, nobody really. I mean, yeah. think about the number of people that <laughs> wrestle. It's so small that it's almost like nobody does it. Um, that then like, it just messes with your mind. So that's what I think. I think there's just this weird pressure in our sport and we feel like if we're not living up to that, um, we're, we're letting people down. Well, and so many people, who I've had on the show, I'll walk away from an interview and I think I know how bad they're hurting about maybe losing the blood round or maybe losing in the finals twice, whatever it is. Like, it doesn't matter what the actual place is. If it's, you know, if to, if to that person, national champ was everything, getting second three times was the worst thing, right? Right. Um, but if the guy's goal is an All-American, losing in the blood round is the worst thing, right? right. Um, and so, but I walk away from the interview and I think, God, how much different would the person's life actually be if they had ninth or eighth or first or second? And part of me says a lot and part of me says really not that much. You know, what, what do you think about something like that? That's I agree. I'm glad you point that out. Um, so that's actually one thing that I take great pride in is when I lost my senior year to be an all American, I lost in that round of 12, right? I won my first two matches. I got beat and then I lost a place and I was devastated. I was that guy who thought that, uh, you know, that, that I just, the world had ended and there was nothing that good was going to come forward because I, I fell short of my goal. And Casey Cunningham actually uh, was one of the first people that, that, you know, talked to me other than my dad and my dad, you know, hugged me and told me he was proud and that, that didn't need to worry about that to be, you know, being a champion didn't mean being an all American and all those things and which was great, but at, you're still like, yeah, whatever. But some time passed, we were driving home back or we were driving back to the hotel and Casey knew that I was shook up. I was sitting shotgun and he was driving and he looked over at me and I was just distraught. And he said, let me ask you this. He said, 
could you have done anything differently? He's like, did you, could you have done anything differently to be prepared? You know, could physically, mentally, just could you have sacrificed any more? Um, could you have been more into it? And I said, no, I can't think of anything. And it's just not, you know, I was just upset. And that was part of the reason I was upset. And he's like, well, that's all that matters. You know, that's all that matters. If you can go to bed and tell yourself that you did everything right, you gave yourself the best opportunity. It just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't your day. You can't hang your hat. And I thought, man, you're right. And that, that helped me sleep better for a long time because I felt like I fully committed. I fully invested and did everything I could. And it just wasn't meant to be. And then, you know, I guess you're never, it's never exciting to be that, but like at the same time, that's now what I want my athletes to be able to answer. Can you at least say you fully committed, did everything you could. Now the outcome doesn't matter as much. If you can do that, it's about the process. Did you do everything right in the process? And if the outcome's there, great. If it's not, it's not. And, and I've even told our athletes before that match, you know, when, when I started coaching in that round, I, I wanted to make sure that they were in the right mental state of mind. I just said, Hey, it's another wrestling match. It won't change you tomorrow. You'll wake up, you'll breathe the same air. You'll use the bathroom the same way. The world will be the same. It's not going to change you. So don't hang your, don't psych yourself out for this match thinking it's life changing. And maybe it has an impact. I don't know, but I feel good telling because I think we need to see it that way. So. Oh, hey, how much more impactful is it when it's coming from a guy who you look up to and respect, which I'm sure all your guys do. But at the time your dad said it, it's like, come on, dad, you know, but then when coach Cunningham says that it's everything. Yeah. Um, probably a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think when Casey, you know, Casey, I remember that very well, very vividly. Um, and you know, that's because he had a big impact in my life. And I remember my dad's words too, but, but there is something to say about coming from Casey because he was an NCAA champion. Um, and I did respect him so much in the wrestling world, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that philosophy of, you know, input base versus output base is just so fascinating to me. John Wooden's wrote a, a very small book. Um, it's like his principles on leadership. And he says every time that they won a national title, they could go out there and he, he felt comfortable sitting in the stands and just watching it happen because he knew that based on the way they prepared, they were, you know, they'd done everything they could do. It's just a very freeing thing to read. Yeah. Yeah. I have not read that, but I, I, I imagine um, that's true. That's yeah, it's a it's a great book. I'll I'll actually send it to you. I have a ton of copies of it. I, I keep them on hand. Um, but awesome. speaking of that, you know, you grew up as a coach's son. You're around some great coaches. Do you have a a leadership like in terms of how you how you build your team or how you structure your team that is kind of your north star for the season? Yeah. Um, well, more more kind of like. Um, culturally, like what we're yeah. about, and 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 you know, for us. Uh, we have some values in our program and there's six of them that are really important to us. And, and they're really important to me. And one of those is family. Right. And, and it's interesting because you can just throw that word out, right. You can say we're a family, but you really have to define what your family is because what I've realized over the years is that uh, family looks different to everybody. Right. And so, um, you know, people come from broken families. People come from families with one parent. People come from wealthy families, poor families. People come from, um, you know, just the, there's just the, the idea of some families are really hard on you. Some families are real soft and like, you know, coddling and some. So we have to define what our family is and what what's going to happen. What our leaders, you know, our parents of our family being the coaches, how we're going to interact with our kids. And um, 
but but also what we expect of our leaders, our captains, our 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 veterans, and our 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 older children, right? Like, mm-hmm. so we have to talk about that and break it down. So so family is big uh, for us. Um, we want to be in it for more than just ourselves. Uh, I I talk to our guys a lot about just being unselfish. We we would never in a family, if you thought about this really, or if you're in a employer trying to hire somebody, or if you were marrying somebody, you would never want somebody selfish, right? You would want unselfishness. So that's, and that's tough in wrestling because uh, those kids probably grow up hearing sometimes you got to be selfish. You got to worry about yourself. It's all about you. And, and we're asking the opposite. So we have to be very clear on that, 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 you know, this is unselfish. Uh, uh, you're, you're embarking on an unselfish, uh, you know, four-year process, five-year process. So, um, so that's big. We have other things we want guys to work hard. We want them to sacrifice. But like the 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 underlying thing that I learned from Casey and my dad that I've probably brought to my coaching is that you can have those pillars. You can you can talk about passion and positive attitude and making sacrifices and working hard and family and integrity, all these things. But if you don't do them consistently mm-hmm. and you don't do them with a disciplined approach. None of it matters. So the things I learned from both Casey and my dad the most, um, and in really a lot of coaches that have been in my life, um, it are consistency and being disciplined with your approach. And it, once you establish your core values, if you can do them in a consistent and disciplined approach, you'll be successful. So, And especially when you surround yourself with, with the coaches you do, I mean, it holds you to such a high standard because, you know, they're watching you. Um, I know Coach Terrapelli and Coach Blake, Chicago represent. Um, he's, yeah. he's a Chicago yeah. Maris guy. Got to give some love there. Yeah, that's right. we're, we're based here in Chicago. Um, that's a great program, Maris Catholic. So got to give love to those guys. But talk about your uh, your assistants and what what they do for the program. Because a lot of times they're in the room and you may be on the road, if, if, if I'm understanding things correctly. Yeah. So, well, first off, you, you nailed it. Um, there's... You can't at this level, well, at any level, right? If you're trying to be run a great program and have the right culture, you have to be surrounded with people you can that one you trust, but and people you can depend on, but people that are just high achieving individuals and work hard, right? And mm-hmm. and Alex and Ray, um, they you know they they are they I, I cannot say enough great things about them. Um, they are guys that anywhere if I ever went, whether I was starting a business or trying to needed something. They're just guys you can depend on and that you would want on your side, right? They, they, they're, they're great, great individuals. So, um, very fortunate in that regard. Um, and you're right though, sometimes, and don't get me wrong, we disagree on things. And the the best part about our staff is that, uh, we've kind of, we've kind of broke it down into, okay, if we're going to disagree, let's get together as a staff, right? Let's be in the office. Let's bounce things off one another. Let's tell people we don't agree with it, but we'll make a decision. And then we come together and we support it because the rest of our team needs a, a, um, you know, needs to feel like um, we're moving in the same direction and we all agree with anything because that's how you, that's how, you know, that's how the ship can go forward. Right. And if, if we're, if I'm saying one thing and he's saying another, and then people can't, they're distracted. They don't understand what to listen to. They're pulled in different directions. It's bad. So uh, I just can trust Ray and Alex so much. We've been together a long time now. Um, they care deeply about, um, they care deeply about more than just winning and more than just, um, the wrestling side. They care about the individuals. They care about doing it the right way. Uh, they want to win. They're, they're as competitive as, as the next person, but they understand the impact that 
we as coaches have on young men's lives. And um, that's really important. And I'm just so grateful that, uh, you know, I have them on staff. Yeah, they're terrible. Tara, uh, Tara I've never spoke to Alex, but I've had his brother Adam on twice. And I, I love that family. And those guys are just, you would just trust them with anything. They just do the right things. And they, they're just so sharp when it comes to wrestling and how they articulate their views. I just love the, I love talking to Adam Terrapelli. Yep. Have you ever watched Coach yeah, Blake's no and, 103 pound state final match? When he, have you ever seen this one? <laughs> I, I've only heard about it, but it's amazing Man. to me. For those that don't know, for those that don't know uh, Ray Blake, uh, I mean, this is a, a guy who's probably 195 pounds now, just like <laughs> really cut, big, muscly guy, like put together, fit, and, um, you know, probably could easily be 200 if he wanted to. Um, and to think that he was a hundred and what, 312 pounder as a senior, I think, uh, is remarkable to me. I think he was, a, he won the state at 103, right. And then yeah. and as a junior and then his senior year might've been third in the state at 112. But, but the fact that he is what he is now, uh, there's hope for anyone out there who's, uh, uh, you know, 112 pound senior that you could be a monster someday. Cause Ray's an example of it. I mean, back in those days, they had to be cutting some hard weight. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, he was winning. He got called for stalling and then it went to overtime. He got called for stalling with like 10 seconds left. And I don't think he was really stalling. And then it went to overtime and he got the takedown. But um, they, they used to put all the Illinois state finals matches on YouTube. And, and that was one that I always remember. Cause I actually wrestled his brother in the, in the middle school circuits years later. So uh, I just, I just saw that. I couldn't believe that when I was started this podcast that he was out at Stanford. And I mean, look, he's been there 14 some years. It's just awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. He's a Stanford guy and he's, uh, he's helping us with this battle to, to, uh, keep the program. And he's, um, he's been a tremendous fighter in that too. So. so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I've heard you detail the, the play by play and heard you on how you found out about 10 times by now. So I'm not going to make you repeat it, but essentially in July, you find out on 25 minutes notice, you're going to get on a zoom call. They tell everyone the program's dropped. Um, you know, they obviously did their due diligence and, you know, it came down to money and, you know, budget cuts, really. Um, they say competitive excellence, but when you talk about the wrestling program, you guys were top 20 every year. So I don't see how that even applies to you guys. So essentially they cut it because of COVID and money. And my biggest question for you is you guys raised $12 million. How big of a number is that for wrestling endowment programs across the country? Yeah. I mean, thanks for saying all that and for, for being up to speed. Um, well, we've been told, you know, through talks with other colleges and talking to Mike Moyer from the NWCA, um, that it's, that it would be the largest single program endowment, uh, in the country. Now that's not to say that programs haven't received more money than that, maybe for facilities or for sure. you know certain projects. I, I don't know, but in terms of money that would just go into an endowment to spin off um, you know, a return for wrestling annually, um, you know, that it's the, it's the largest in the country. So, you know, and, and what is interesting about that is that $12 million, if you're, if you're, you know, drawing, I guess, 5% conservatively a year off that, um, you're talking about, uh, what's that put it about $600,000 a year, um, in, in just interest that you, you can put wow. toward running your program and $600,000 a year, uh, for us at Stanford would cover, you know, most all the operating expenses, you know, the, 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 the annual budget plus coaching salaries, right? So now all you'd, all you'd be uh, needing are, is money for scholarships. And 
And, um, you know, that's just something to be mindful of when, when we're looking at this. That's how much 12 million is, right? $12 million conservatively is going to get you a $600,000 annual operating budget for your, for your team and for coaching salaries. And so mm-hmm. that would, that would allow us to be self, self-sufficient right there minus scholarships. So it's, um, it's pretty remarkable what we've, what we've been able to do in four or five months. And it's a testament to how passionate and how invested our supporters and alumni are. And it means to me so much more than Stanford wrestling. To me, it's California wrestling at large. To lose a pillar of the Big 12 literally breaks my heart. I couldn't even believe it when I heard the news. Um, it's, so it's just amazing you guys have come up with that money. And so it's, it's a testament to you and your staff, but also just like you said, how much people love Stanford and, and California wrestling. Um, are we any closer today than we were in July to getting good news on 2022? I would say we're a lot closer um, when we first started. I mean, if you think about this, when the press release came out, it was, this is final and there's yep. no amount of money and we're not overturning it. Now we've had uh, um, some glimmers of hope. I wouldn't say it's been uh, off the charts exciting. Uh, and that's because, you know, they, they put us in a little bit of a tough spot. They said that now in order to come back, we're tied, our fate is tied to uh, all the other sports, right? So, so they cut 11 sports, we're one of them. So there's 10 other sports and they, they really have said it's all, all 11 or nothing. And that's tricky because they want us to raise $200 million for those 11 sports. But we've also been told that, um, if we could, uh, uh, if we could come up with a financial solution that would take care of our sport and solve their gender equity issue, that they would have to revisit the decision. They're not saying that they would overturn it, but they'd have to listen and revisit it. And so uh, we are a little bit closer there, but then we've also, we know things look a lot different than they did in July, right? The yeah. pandemic, we, we, we understand financially um, where we are a little bit more. And I think it's been a, a very, it's clear now that, that the, the endowments and the, the financial strains that we maybe forecasted or projected aren't as severe as thought. And so we've just got a clear picture. So I think considering the world's a lot different than it was 11 months ago or seven months ago, yep. um, leads us to, to, to be hopeful. And we've also got a lot of uh, people that are, that are really supporting and behind uh, uh, our return and, and not just wrestling people. We have alumni from all programs. We have, um, you know, professors, faculty members, some board of trustees. We have people at all levels that are, that are really thinking twice about this. So that's good. That's out. That's outstanding. Um, I've also heard that it would be helpful if you had, when you said the gender issue. So if Stanford sponsored a women wrestling, a women's wrestling team, is that, is that a reality that that could, that could happen? Cause that, that seems fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, so definitely first off, um, you know, having a women's program in some capacity just needs to happen, right? It's yeah. the right thing to do from a, just across the country, women's wrestling, the growth of it. Um, they need opportunities. They need division one opportunities. So uh, we kind of went into this thinking one, that's the right thing to do, but two, we need to figure out a way to integrate a women's program into uh, you know our return regardless. We just yeah. need to. Um, and so uh, that's a part of it. It's a component. Um, um, what I think is probably more uh, logical and doable in the early stages is instead of starting a full-blown women's team that's separate, um, bringing women onto our men's roster and then slowly building a club team on campus and then 
transitioning over time into a full-fledged NCAA women's team. Uh, the reason for that is more optics. Um, you know, they cut a handful of women's sports in this when they made these 11 cuts. And so to just start a women's team that's not one of the ones they cut, uh, it would be harder to convince them to do that. So uh, we feel like starting uh, an integrated roster with women and then starting a women's club team and then eventually the club team goes up to full varsity status is kind of our path um, to getting the women going, but we need it for sure. That makes so much more sense. I mean, you already have yeah. the raw, I mean, just put them on the roster and they can either have combined workouts, separate workouts. I mean, we'll talk about right. some of the workouts you're doing on the tennis courts out there. Cause I saw that <laughs> and I was just blown away, but um, I mean, that I, I tell you the, everyone knows that college wrestling should have, you know, uh, women's teams, obviously, but think about how much it does to protect us from title nine, you know, even outside of, yeah, it's the right thing to yeah. do, but just if we want college wrestling, this is going to help no brainer. Yeah, it certainly seems like it, it would help. Um, you know, we don't know if it would, but yeah, you know, I look at it more as, um, just growing the sport, right. Yeah. The, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of women, a lot of females out there that, that, in, that love wrestling as much as you and I do. And, and they should have an opportunity to compete. I think long-term uh, probably makes sense to have, you know, women competing against the women. But I think that in the short term, whatever we can do to provide opportunities for women wrestlers across the country, we need to do it, whether that's rostering them with the men or not. Right. And so yeah. we're all for it. And I actually, we've had uh, a couple girls on our rosters in the past. I mean, Patricia Miranda was on the men's roster yeah. and uh, Christine Cunningham, Jolene Oshiro, uh, couple of girls, you know, three girls off the top of my head that wrestled at Stanford. And then I know other teams have done it as well. So we just, we need to, we need to put our minds together collectively uh, as a men's wrestling uh, and figure out ways to help get the women's wrestling going because yes, it might help us long-term, but more so than that, they deserve the opportunities, yep. you know, and, and we need to create them. Absolutely. Um, and so 2021, you, Stanford will have a season and you guys will wrestle through. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Awesome. I tell you what, man, last year you guys won the, was it last year or the year before you won the pac 12s? Yeah. The, uh, 2008, uh, what was last year's season? 20. So 2019 the year before Yeah. 2019 year we finished second. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but even last year, I mean, you guys had four freshman national qualifiers. I'm an Illinois guy, real woods. I mean, what can you say about that kid? He's, he's a fantastic, but um, even you had, you know, a, a little, a younger Abbas in there that was going to be starting this year. Maybe he's going to be starting this year. I mean, the health of the Stanford program could not have been in a better spot before this all happened. Can you talk about some of the recent successes? Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. We are very optimistic. Uh, you know, you said some of the guys, but I mean, and they're young. So we're optimistic and young. We had four freshman NCAA qualifiers, uh, but we had three other qualifiers uh, so we have seven returning qualifiers on this year's roster. Um, wow. And then you add Jade Navis and some other young guys to it. So we have a very healthy young team and really excited about uh, the direction we're going. But, um, you know, Shane Griffith was a freshman undefeated. He was a three seed. He was a Hodge finalist. Um, you know, uh, Real Woods, like you mentioned, wow. had one loss, was a three seed going into NCAAs. Tyler Eichens was a freshman NCAA qualifier at 157, had a great year. Jackson Desario, a, a true freshman out of Georgia, was a, a freshman in state qualifier. Jade Navis won the Southern Scuffle in red shirt. Um, 
We had a heavyweight that was dealing with injuries last year that qualified as a freshman and missed last year, uh, Hayden Maley. We had Raquir Vandermeer, who was our 149 pounder and was the, he was a 14 seed at the NCAAs as a sophomore last year as a junior, dealt with injuries and um, didn't make the NCAA tournament, but it's back this year. So, I mean, we just have, we have um, Nathan Traxler, uh, one of our veterans who, uh, Illinois kid, yep. uh, St. Charles area, um, <clears throat> Marmion Academy. Uh, so, you know, he, uh, he, let's see, he's going to, he's got, this would be a senior year. So he was going to, he was a junior last year was a top 12 seed at NCAAs. And just, we, we feel really good about, um, you know, our, our future, uh, our chances were excited. We were super excited going in NCAAs last year and it got canceled and we're super optimistic coming into this year. You know, yeah. we think that, um, we, we honestly think we can be, you know, be in the top eight, top, top five and be hunting for a trophy with the right tournament. Um, there's nothing that thinks we can, I think we have, handful of guys that can win the NCAA championship and we have a lot of guys that can be all Americans. So we're excited. Yeah. I forgot about Shane Griffith. He is when he, he had a pin against Ohio state and that was the first time I was like, Oh man, that's, you know, kid something. And then, I mean, the stats you just mentioned off, I had no idea. That's incredible that he had that, that good of a season. I mean, so easily you get a couple finalists. Yeah. It was not. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, I mean, Shane and real had great, great years. Um, uh, and, you know, Shane, 20, oh, I think he was 27 or 29 and 0 conference championship, beat Josh Shields twice, who was you know, ranked in the top six. He beat uh, the Oklahoma State kid at the Southern Scuffle, um, uh, who was a top four seed at Nationals. He beat, um, you know, just he had, a, he had a really good resume, really good resume. And uh, he's just kind of quiet, goes about his business, wins a lot of wrestling matches. Um, and, um, you know, comes shows up every single day is super committed super competitive he's an awesome kid and uh you know can't ask for anything more than that but he he he's uh he's chomping at the bit for this year too man i'm excited now some of the thing one of the things that's jumping out to me is you know you talk about this roster you have and you've got kids from all over the country and the recruiting is really top notch at stanford but you're doing it against one of the lowest acceptance rates in the country i mean stanford academically tops tops of the tops um limited scholarships right and so what you've been able to do is incredible and i heard you one time on a, a youtube video it was called recruiting red flags and you told a story about um you were in this recruits living room and and you you kind of had this dilemma of signing this kid would have been good for your program but it would have been good for your your team's culture could you tell that story yeah exactly what happened. I remember the kid. I remember where I was, but I won't, I won't use his name against him, but yeah. uh, yeah, we were, I was sitting in his, uh, in his house. We just finished eating. I think we were sitting in the living room. If I remember exactly where we were. And I just remember having a talk and he was really good. Uh, and he was a big time recruit. And in fact, he went on to have a decent career. Uh, I would say he didn't do exactly what I had thought he was capable of doing, but he did. Okay. But I just remember him telling his mom to shut up in the middle of a conversation. And I was just like, it was like a big red flag for me. Um, one, it was just super rude. But two, what I remember going through my head was if he's willing to tell his mom to shut up in front of a college coach, imagine what he's willing to tell his college coach to do in front of nobody. Right? Right. So I was like, I was like, um, I was just like, it's probably just not going to work. And you know, we just moved in a different direction. That, that was it. It was easy as that because I've had that advice from people before where, you know, you know, set, you set 
a standard. And um, if people meet it, go full force for them. Those are the people you want in your program. But if they don't check the boxes, you probably should back away because uh, you know if you have that if you have that gut feeling, it's usually right. So, but it's tempting to say you have a Fargo champ or a top ten recruiting class, knowing that someone like that would help. But then you know, long term, it could be could be toxic. Yeah, it is. And but but again, like you said, I think that that far outweighs the the other, right? Like so, yes, he comes in and he does well. The problem is, is even if he comes in and has a little bit of success and even underachieves, but has some success, people look at that and might say, well, he's he's doing well, so I can be you know a dingbat too, or I can push the bar a little bit. Um, what you need is you you need the 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 perfect like scenario is that your most successful athletes, the one that are doing they're doing the best, are the ones that are the most bought in and believe in your culture and are the hardest working and live the right lifestyles. That's when you have a chance. That's when you have a chance to be great. That's mm-hmm. honestly that when, if you, if you talk about the formula, the formula is your best athletes, your most successful athletes are the ones that are doing things right. Or the, the ones whose values align with the, the coach, the programs, the programs values. That's, that's the, that's kind of the, the perfect storm. Yeah. I mean, that, that comes together you know, not every day, but you happen to have a ton of kids that, that fit that bill. And so we're excited to see what happens in 21. Um, and, you know, the season's underway now. It's, it's finally, uh, it's great to finally say that. I wanted to wind down with a couple rapid fire yeah. questions. Does that work, coach? Well, that works. <laughs> no, no, uh, no gotchas, nothing like that. So I heard that you are an avid uh, Jordan shoe collector. Um, I am oh. not, so I, I won't be asking you about that. But uh, in relation to that, I assume you watched the last dance and if so, what was your favorite last dance moment or episode? Cause I've watched it about 10 times. Yeah. Geez. I have watched it. I've only watched it once. So not as many as you, but, uh, there was a lot. Um, gosh. what sticks out to you about? Yeah. Those I think, days? um, a lot of things. I mean, I, I, I love Michael Jordan, so I know a lot of that stuff and I've followed it a lot, but, um, Probably his interactions. I, I thought the uh, the whole story from uh, Steve Kerr, like yeah. when they they the exchange they had, I thought that was pretty interesting for me. Of like just kind of like that. But what you know what what really stu- stuck out to me, I guess, as I think about this more, and this isn't exactly rapid fire. So That's okay. No, no. But the Hit part, me. just the fact that like when 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 Michael Jordan was saying like, that's who I was, right? Like, and people knew who I was and, 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 you know, some people weren't that way and weren't that competitive and didn't want to hear it that way, but like, that's who I was. And just the idea that um, sometimes you have to be true to yourself and you have to have uh, confidence in, in uh, who you are and not, not necessarily try to change because of the, those around you, like being confident in who you are, right. And just yeah. having that inner self-confidence like was, you know, and I guess, it, I mean, it's why he was great, right? He, he, he led a certain way and demanded and expected so much of his teammates and was willing to call you out if you weren't, if you weren't doing it. And I, I value and appreciate that a lot, right? Even though maybe he knew some people didn't like it or, or felt like he was a jerk or whatever it was. So. And on that same note, think about Phil Jackson being true to himself. He came in and said, I'm not giving MJ the ball anymore and had to stand up <laughs> to him for, you know, probably a, multiple seasons of just getting ridiculed by MJ. Right. No doubt. Man, that's uh, God, I love that documentary. I, anyone who listens to the show knows it. So uh, I know it is. It's amazing. We, we haven't integrated it into our team yet, but we talk about it a lot uh, as a staff. Like we need to make make it like we're the guys need to watch that because it, you can learn a lot from it. Yeah. Just the competitiveness is, is awesome. Um, yeah. I alluded to this earlier, but 
And again, I say rapid fire. It's really just three quick questions at the end. Um, I alluded to this earlier. You guys are practicing on the tennis courts, and we all know that California is one of the strictest places in the world right now with, with these kind of guidelines. What led to you guys practicing on the tennis courts? What's going on out there? Well, so, yeah, so our county, uh, Santa Clara County, um, when we first came back, we actually didn't come back until November, and we got going. We, everything was moving along nicely. We were inside practicing, and then the county changed their um, – they went to a shelter in place. And so you could not have a, have any indoor or outdoor contact with anyone else. The caveat being uh, kind of the loophole was that if you were a single household, you could have contact activity. So if you, you know, lived together, you could work out together in a contact setting as long as it was outside. Um, so thankfully, when we moved back to campus in early November, mid-November, we lived, we, they moved us into a, a dorm, dorm uh, called suites where each suite has six bedrooms. And so six people were living together. So we had four suites of six so for 24 people, uh, four, four suites of six different pockets of people living together. And so we were able to take four mats and that each one of those suites became a household and they could have contact activity. So we put four mats out because we have 24 guys yeah. and six, pe six people could train together on a mat. Um, and that's what we've been doing to get kind of creative, to get around the, the guidelines of the county. And, um, and it's been going fine. Thankfully, we have great weather. We've only been rained out like twice, I think, over the last few weeks. And, um, you know, it's about 60, 62 and sunny most of the days. And that feels great. You know, that feels like 70 degrees. So it's been fine. Uh, it's a good change of pace, change of scenery. And I think the guys enjoyed it, especially in the early weeks. They really liked it. So I think it's yeah. awesome because you're getting the vitamin D, which you don't usually <laughs> get in the winter. But for people who don't know, you know, I lived in San Francisco for five years. Um, Stanford is just one of the most, you know, Palo Alto is one of the most beautiful places in the world, um, just scenery wise. I, I know you live on campus, so I'm sure you're right in the thick of it. But I mean, what a place to be practicing outside at in the dead of winter. It is. It's, it is beautiful. Um, I mean, and you pay for it. It's very expensive. Oh my to live God. Here. Yeah. Um, and the weather, we live in this like climate bubble, right? So yeah. it, it might be 62 degrees here tomorrow and sunny. Uh, but if you travel 20 miles north to San Francisco, it's 40 degrees and windy and cold, right? Or you go to the Half Moon Bay uh, and you're on the ocean. We are just tucked in this little climate bubble where in our Palo Alto area, the weather just stays amazing most of the year. It's really remarkable. And that's why real estate is so high. And that's why a lot of people desire to be here. But um, it is, the campus is really, really pretty. Um, you know, it's very scenic. Um, they, they take great care of it. They pride themselves on facilities and, um, and, uh, and the weather cooperates, uh, 300 plus days a year. So it's a great place to be. Absolutely. The other cool story I found about your program was that at the beginning of the year, your freshmen, they actually lived out at a recruits parents house, right? They gathered and lived out. Um, what's that story? Cause that was just another way you guys are yeah. innovating that I was just blown away by. Yeah. Well, not a recruits parents house. One of the freshmen on the team, um, he, yeah. one of the incoming freshmen, he, um, pretty local, um, built a good relationship with the other, uh, seven incoming freshmen. Um, the parents all got to know one another and they kind of brainstormed. And I think, um, the, the mother and father of, uh, of Peter, one of our, uh, bigger freshmen, our heavyweight freshmen, you know, just wanted to try to come up with a way to give those freshmen that experience of being together during a pandemic. And so 
he coordinated with the families and uh, they all agreed to all eight of our, well, all but one. So seven of the seven of them came out and decided to, to move in. Uh, he has um, like has a garage that they kind of converted into like a bunkhouse. And so they had some enough desk space so they could have like, you know, cause they were, they were, in, they were taking classes online. And so Crazy. he invited them all, invited them all out, um, had a, a garage out back that he put a wrestling mat in. And so was able to give them a somewhat like, uh, you know, freshman experience. They got to come in, they got to be together. They got to meet each other in person, hang out. And they did that for a few months until we were able to bring them to campus. And so it's an awesome experience for them because, you know, they got to build a bond that's really strong. And it's actually neat to see now uh, how close those guys are that, that we're doing that. Um, you know, imagine going through what we're all going through with a, a group of buddies uh, facing all these challenges, uh, going through, you know, battle to save your program, dealing with the pandemic, you know, just everything, right. Yeah. Um, learning from home and, uh, and having, you know, six or seven guys along there alongside with you that, you know, they're going to be connected for life uh, just because of the, the last few months. Right. So it's pretty cool. Experience. I mean, yeah. I mean, in the thing that your guys go through too, is that for the first time, they're really getting stepped, maybe not for the first time, but for kids who went to a normal high school like me, going to Stanford would be a major change academically. And so just to handle that is something, um, let alone doing it remote. So it, it, it's just right. awesome that they all got together. Yeah, it was awesome. And so, so grateful for the, the, the Ming family, but also that the other parents um, were willing to let their kids do it, right? It takes a lot to to kind of send your kid across. It's, it's one thing to send your kids across the country to go to college and move into Stanford, but it's another to move into a house of a, a, a family you hardly know, you know, that you've only yeah. known for a few months and just <laughs> got to know them, you know? So crazy. Um, wow. So thank you for sharing that. Two more quick ones. I've had a couple of requests lately to ask about favorite books. So do you have any books that you've gifted a lot over the years or that have had a big impact on you? Hmm. My wife's the big reader in the family, but, okay. um, um, I've read a lot of great books. I don't gift them, but, um, I liked, I liked, uh, good to great. Yeah. Um, um, and built to last, um, trying to think of, uh, I mean, I, you, like kind of professional, like growth and development. Those are the types of things I'm into a little bit more, but over a certain period of time, I feel like they just start cluttering and clogging your mind. Right. You hear so yeah. many different ways of doing things that sometimes you just got to do it and, you know, learn and fail on your own. But, um, you know, leadership books, uh, those would be the ones that jump out. I, I'm a, I, I enjoy reading more now for uh, lately for just like, kind of like entertainment, like things that I just start reading and that are, it's just like, take my mind other places, right? Up. Yeah. So, yeah. If you looked at my library, you think I'm having a midlife crisis. They're all self-help. Yeah. <laughs> um, fair enough though. I appreciate that. Last question. Normally we ask how did wrestling change your life? But I just, I heard this story about you and this coach calling you that I thought it was so cool. I had to ask on uh, one of the podcasts you did with Kyle Kleeman lately, you shared that during this time of, you know, the program being canceled, college coaches are calling you to, to essentially get the lowdown on some of your guys, right? Cause some are going to be transferring, but John Smith calls you, doesn't even ask about that. He's legitimately concerned about your program. Uh, I just thought that was the coolest story. So maybe we could wind down with that. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what happened, at least through my eyes. Right. Yeah. He called me and I thought he was calling about real woods who had just gone in the portal at the time. Um, and some other coaches had reached out about him and within 
literally within two days of like the announcement or three days, right? Um, it was a very short period of time. So I was still very charged and emotional about what was happening. Um, and he went in the portal and you now I was dealing with just, I remember just being like, gosh, like this is just not a, this is another thing I don't want to be like dealing with right now is having to answer, you know, about why reels in the portal. But John called and right away, I was kind of like, Hey, calling about real. And we talked for a little bit and he asked, he was asking me questions and, you know, a couple minutes into the conversation, I was like, are you, you know, are you calling because you want to know about real? And he's like, no, I, he's like, I mean, I was calling to, to see how I can help and wanted to know what was going on. And then we talked a little bit longer and we never talked about real, not once, it never, never came up. And other than him saying that if we felt like the program had a chance to be saved, he needed to stay here. And, um, and uh, I was like, oh, great. And, um, wow. you know, part, part of me thought like, okay, saying the right things, but I did uh, ended up hearing afterwards that he connected with real and told real and his family the same thing that, that if uh, he needed, not only did he need to stay, if he thought the program was going to be saved, um, but if he did and he was going to stay here, he needed to get out of the portal that, that you know, that, that he needed to not be in it. And I think that uh, that was uh, helpful too, because, you know, it's not just, us as, as, as your coach telling you that when you hear it from other people, you know, and same thing, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the show when my dad, my coach says one thing, but then when Casey says something like yeah. it can have a different impact. So different voice can impact you a different way. But uh, I think um, went a long way uh, hearing that from, from coach Smith. You know, the crazy thing is that in 93, Pat Smith was a senior and Oklahoma state was banned from the 93 NCAs and he almost transferred to Arizona state and rested for Leroy and right. John has said that that would have completely decimated the program, you know? So it's yeah. just, when you have those tough times, having people stay together is important. And so that's just cool yeah. that he called you though. I thought that was a great story. It was. And, and as somebody who, you know, uh, he didn't really need to, right. That's, a, that's the thing I go back to, you know, is like, could have just contacted the recruit if that's what it was about. Didn't really need to call me, but, but he did. And I just appreciated that because, um, you know, just, just, just hearing that you have support from other programs and other coaches is big. And I, and I get that, like, you know, maybe they can't tweet about it. They can't do a lot of things because they don't want to look like they're supporting another college or that they're tampering with recruits down the road. There's all kinds of things, but yeah, to have them call and to say, Hey, we're behind you. We support and What can we do behind the scenes to help? Like that goes a long way too. Yeah. Absolutely. And last but not least, uh, save help save Stanford wrestling. How can folks listening to this show who love wrestling help? Um, you know, keep Stanford wrestling is the website. I believe you can donate there outside of the financial contribution, which we hope anyone who can will do something. What can folks do um, to, to help the cause for you? Cause we want to help whatever way we can. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is uh, uh, in a positive way, reaching out to decision makers on campus. It sounds go goofy, but the more people they hear from, yeah. um, and, um, and, and we need it from all angles. It, obviously big donors helps because anytime you, you're, you know, a, a board of trustee or a provost or a president or the AD, and you start hearing from people that are, uh, uh, big financial contributors to your, to your university, that, that has an impact, right. If they're not happy, but like, just, just hearing from, from people in the wrestling community goes a long way because pe they need to understand that this doesn't just affect uh, a small subset of people. It affects, um, you know, a lot of people all across the country. So that, that's, that could be helpful. I think 
uh, following us on social media and in chiming in and retweeting and sharing uh, messages is helpful too, because, um, you know, the more people that see what's happening, the more awareness we can create, you never know who can help influence in a, in a big, big way. Right. And so I think sharing our content, uh, pushing it out so other people can see it, but also letting our decision makers hear your voice um, in a positive and constructive way. Right. You don't, you're not venting and, and, Right, you know, flying right. off the handle about why why we should have wrestling, but those are the biggest things I would say. Okay, well, we will share all the uh, the the social handles as well as hashtags um, in the in the show notes. I think I'm getting it mixed up between is it SafeStanfordWrestling.com or KeepStanfordWrestling.com? Keep Stanford Wrestling. There is a Save Stanford Wrestling that started, and and that's not um, our alumni group is KeepStanfordWrestling.com, and so that's the website. That's all the, the social media handles are KeepStanfordWrestling.com. Beautiful, beautiful. I will, um, like I said, I'll, I'll link to that. Coach Borelli, it's been a real honor, sir. Thank you for taking the time today. Thanks a lot for having me on, and um, anytime and any way I can help you, let me know. Will do. Thank you. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.